0: I'm dealing with a subject about counterculture. Christianity, those who follow the Lord, those who follow God, are different than the norms, societal norms in the the culture. And that's why this message is called Counterculture. We're in Matthew. We're going to finish up chapter 5. Someone say amen. We're going to finish chapter 5. Finally, Pastor Steve, we've been in chapter 5 for too long, but we're going to finish it today. And we're looking at the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus is communicating what seems to be contrary to what his hearers were used to doing. But we're going to find out it wasn't too different at all. And, and keep in mind that uh, we are a stubborn people. We are. We all are. Selfish to the core. Pastor Steve, you're not very encouraging. Well, it gets better. Listen, we want our way, and when somebody uh, gets in the way of that, we get upset. We're really short-sighted. When somebody hurts or does something offensive to us, we kind of look at the immediate. We look at the right now, and we can't get past that. We don't understand the implications of the future and, 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 and our behavior, how that can reflect or influence someone, good or bad. And so we have what I would call some advice, really, I would say, commands of how to live right for Jesus, pleasing the Lord, which I think a lot of his hearers thought was odd, maybe even weird. Now, as I was looking and studying and preparing for today, I thought back to different eras of time. I grew up in the 60s, and uh, in the 60s, Things were a little different than they are today. And I was, I was thinking about different slogans that were popular in the 60s. I, I'll name a few that I recalled. If it feels good, do it. I remember that. You remember that? Uh, yeah, right, huh? <laughs> Love the one you're with. Love the one you're with. That was uh, a vibe going on. Born to be wild. Love that song. If it feels good, do it. I've said that. Let it all hang out. Let it all hang out. I remember in the 60s, you know, you were cool if you let your boxers kind of show. Right? I don't know. I mean, isn't it weird the things that people think are cool? But that, that was, you were cool if your boxers stuck out. By the way, the apathy of the 60s bled over into where we're at today, Amen. 1970s. Some of the things I recall is, "You deserve a break today." You don't deserve anything. Have it your way. Yeah. And how did that go? <laughs> for those who are watching online, you probably didn't hear the audience. Somebody said, "I did it my way," and I, of course, you heard my response. How did that go for you? Uh, keep on trucking. Remember that. Grateful Dead did a song, "Trucking," and remember that? I even had a shirt with that guy with the big boot. Keep on trucking, keep on trucking. I remember that. Dog eat dog world. I have my rights. A- and then 80s and 90s, I- things got a little foggy for me there because I was in a fog in the 80s, I think. But I'll sue. Everybody was sue-happy, and that's obviously transcended and tr- transferred over to him. I don't get mad, I get even. Hit first. So, Jesus is teaching a countercultural message. Maybe, but maybe not. So, we're in Matthew chapter 5, starting with verse 38. Let me read. Jesus said, You've heard the law that says the punishment must match the injury. An eye for an eye. And a tooth for a tooth. But I say, do not resist an evil person. Interesting. I'm going to allude to that in a little bit. Do not resist an evil person. Interesting. If if someone slaps you on the right cheek, offer the other cheek also. I, I don't know if I like that. Verse 40, if you're sued in court and your shirt is taken from you, give your coat too. If a soldier demands that you carry his gear for a mile, carry it two miles. Give to those who ask, and don't turn away from those who want to borrow. You've heard the law that says love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I say love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. We're going to spend some time with that one, because that's not easy. And, And verse 45 Jesus says, in that way, you'll be acting as two true children of the Father in heaven. For he gives his sunlight, catch this, he gives his sunlight to both the evil and the good. He sends rain on the just and the unjust alike. If you love only those who love you, what reward is there for that? Even corrupt tax collectors do that much. If you're kind only to your friends... How are you different from anyone else? Even pagans do that. Even unbelievers do that. But you are to be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. So there's a number of things going on here. Remember, Jesus is speaking to a large audience. They are his Jewish brothers and sisters. And they truly have a grasp. His hearers, I believe with all my heart, had a gr- good grasp of Scripture. They weren't distracted by the things that we're distracted with. They had time to study and read, and that was just part of their day-in, day-out life. And some of the dynamics and cultural idiosyncrasies of Jesus' time were things, obviously, in the Middle East. And the, the back of the hand, for instance, was considered an insult. The back of the hand. You could do this, that's an insult, or hit somebody with the back of the hand, but a closed fist, that meant something altogether different. The back of the hand was offensive. This, was, this was a fight. You might think, well, that, I'm glad things aren't that way now, but we still have those colloquialisms today. That was a backhanded comment. <laughs> what you're communicating is... That was offensive. That hurt. That was a backhanded comment. Well, you can see where it originated, right? Uh, today, we, we don't always put up our dukes. Sometimes we fight with words. Those can be just as brutal, even more so. Sarcasm. Don't raise your hand, but how many of you like comedians that are sarcastic? They kind of uh, bring light to situations sarcasm. Don, Don Reckles was one of those, wasn't he? Yeah. So it was with Winston Churchill. Winston Churchill, the Prime Minister of England, Great Britain during the time of World War II, he, he had a great wit about him, a lot of wisdom, but he was very sarcastic. And for some reason, I don't, haven't really looked up the details, Winston Churchill and, and, and Lady Astor just, they didn't get along. And Lady Astor, she was an American-born but British politician who eventually was seated on as a member of Parliament for Great Britain. They didn't get along. and, And one day, Lady Astor saw Winston. He liked to tip a few, and he was a little unsteady on his feet, and she said, Mr. Churchill, you're drunk. He said... Madam Astor, you're ugly. <laughs> but tomorrow I'll be sober. <laughs> One day, in pure frustration, Lady Astor said, Mr. Churchill, if you were my husband, I'd put poison in your drink. She said, Madam, if I were your husband, I'd drink it. <laughs> what Jesus is saying here in the passage that we read today, he's saying, don't. Don't. Give them the, uh, the other cheek. Reminds me of a story of an Irish pastor who at one time was a great boxer. I mean, he was pretty good. But he had converted and become a follower of Christ, and he was in another town setting up for a revival. He was setting his tent up, and he was going to be preaching there. And um, in walked three thugs. And he, he stood up and kind of looked at them, made eye contact with them. And one of the thugs walked right over here, popped him right in the face, grazed right off his face. He turned, almost unaffected by the punch squared off his jaw, looked right at the thug, and the thug threw another punch, Boom. Graced, graced right off his face. And with that, he said, that's all the Lord has commanded me to do. Wham! <laughs> Knocked the guy out. Charles Spurgeon said this, we're to be the anvil. You know what an anvil is? It's that metal apparatus that you beat things with a hammer and forge them and whatnot. And He says, be the anvil when bad men are the hammers. Uh, We're to take the bad blows from bad men's words and let them glance off us like that Irish pastor. But nowhere, listen, nowhere are we told to be doormats for those who are rapists and murderers. We're to protect, we're to be strong, protect ourselves, protect our families. Amen. Retaliation robs redemption. You see, we've got to get outside of the, the, the now, the situation that's at hand, and think and move beyond that to the implications of the future and the impact that we can have to influence a better future for that person who has now just become our enemy. I don't want you to raise your hand, but I know there are people here and people listening in the courtyard. You have been hurt. You've been in situations that that, that were so painful, and maybe still there's residue of that residual pain. You've been a victim. Or you've been the perpetrator. There's all kinds here this morning because we're human and we have a sin nature. We're depraved. Apart from God, there's no telling what each one of us are capable of doing. How far we'll go, how far down we'll go. But retaliation, it robs us, it robs you and I of, of the redemptive value of living for Christ. And I, I want to say something because I think that, in general, Christians think that the Old Testament is, is old <laughs> and, and it was brutal. And now we live under grace and everything's kind of smooth and anything goes. But the original law really, I think, was fair. It kept people from forcing the offender to pay a greater price than what he had done. Let me explain. In in the Old Testament, in the book of Leviticus, we we see God's law in chapter 24. I'll read it to you. Chapter 24, 19 through 22. Listen to this. This is in the Old Testament written Most likely likely about 900 to 1,200 years before, maybe even further, before the birth of Christ. Anyone who injures another person must be dealt with according to the injury inflicted. A fracture for a fracture, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. You've heard that statement. Whatever anyone does to injure another person must be paid back in kind. So you see the fairness there. Whoever kills an animal must pay for it in full. But whoever kills another person must be put to death. This same standard applies both to the native-born Israelites and the foreigners living among you. I am the Lord your God. This is God's Word. This is from the mouth of God. Communicating justice. Fairness. We see that in the Old Testament. But Jesus, on the other hand, he's focusing really more on the attitude in this passage in Matthew, the attitude of the victim, the intent of the heart. And, and what I found in, when, I, when I think about turning the other cheek, that's an interesting concept. It, 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 it tells me when, when Jesus says to turn your, turn your cheek, when somebody hits you, turn your cheek. To me, the implication there is that you did not run from that confrontation. You stood there. You planted yourself. Does that make sense? I mean, how else can you turn the other cheek? I'm I'm thinking about this not in a spiritual sense, but in a physical sense. Turn the other cheek. We've got to stay and not run. I wonder how better the world would be now if we stayed and didn't run or hide. And I think that posture demands both faith and love. Faith that God's going to take it and get you through it. And love for that person. And that requires you and I to get out of the immediate in our mindset. To get out of the immediate and look beyond to the eternal state of that person or the possibility of of where they might end up, thinking beyond the immediate. Because when we're hurt and when we're offended, that comes in. That comes into your psyche, your spirit. It's personal. You you just messed with me. You just messed with my family. That hurt, that stung. It doesn't feel good. So the defenses come up. And, And Jesus is saying, think beyond that. Think about the soul of that individual. It's interesting. Psychologists tell us that violence is born out of weakness. It's not strength. It's weak. And so Jesus says to love your enemies. Love your enemies. And we see that in verses 43 through 48. And then we see the Old Testament relate to that. And you might be thinking right now that, well, that's something that Jesus coined. Love your enemies. That's a new concept that Jesus taught. But we see that that, that's not true. It's found in Leviticus 19 again, verses 17 through 18. I'll read it to you. God says, do not nurse hatred in your heart for any of your enemies or any of your relatives. Confront people directly so you will not be held guilty for their sin. Interesting. Confront people directly. Don't nurse hatred. You see, what happens many times when somebody says or does something to us that hurts, we become a victim of that. And if we don't deal with it fairly soon then we retract. It's, it's, it's either fight or flight with, with people. So we retract and then we ruminate, we percolate, we nurse that offense. And, and sometimes some people are just the kind of people that they hurt others with the words that they use and they don't even, for the most part, not always, but for the most part, They don't realize they hurt you, but you've nursed that. You're nursing it. You're hurt. It starts stewing and percolating. And somebody once told me that in a group of pastors, they said, ministry will either make you better or bitter. And I thought about that. I said, you know, that's not just ministry. That's life. Life will either make you better or bitter. So we can retract and seclude and isolate and let those offenses and hurts, they're, they're real. I'm not, minimizing, I'm not minimizing the impact of the hurt, the offense, the wrong. It was wrong. And, and some of the wrongs done are deep and hurt. Very painful. To the point, sometimes you can't even get out of bed. You're not even sure if you can take a breath that hurts so bad. And here's something I've found. I've practiced it. I've failed miserably at it. I've picked up where I started, tried it again, reaped the benefits of it. Set it down and reap the benefits of that. It's something we all struggle with. Praying for our enemies. Now, I'm not talking about God smite them. (laughs) Cause a lightning bolt to come down from heaven and bam on their head, Lord. Give them what's coming, God. Take them out. Don't raise your hand. How many of you have prayed prayers like that? Take them out. In Jesus' name. (laughs) Sure, a lot of you have been praying a lot like that, huh? But when you're faced with hurt and offense and, and quite frankly, you've identified something as evil, it's hard not to pray that way, isn't it? when you pray for your enemy, something happens. And, and I'm, again, I'm not referring to what I just gave as an example. That kind of prayer. I think there's a time for that kind of prayer. But it's got to be led by the Holy Spirit. But it's the kind of prayer that's honest and sincere. It's transparent before God. God, you know how I'm feeling. You can't hide anything from God. I mean, you can mask things in your eloquent adjectives in prayer. I've heard some people pray so beautifully, I feel like, I'm not that kind of person. My prayers are like really simple. God help me. And I always love people that can package a prayer, so just. it's almost like reading the Psalms. So we have somebody that's hurt, an enemy that's hurt you, and, and so we're to pray for them. And and listen, that's the starting point. That's the starting point. God, minister to whoever that person is or that group of people are. And Lord, you know, you know, God, you know how I feel. You know, God knows. I can't hide anything from you, God. You know how I feel. I'm having a hard time praying for this. I'm having a hard time, God, praying about the situation. But Lord, I know you're bigger And, and... And God, I pray that you touch their life. Touch their life. And I'm not talking about that kind of touch, but God, touch them and draw them and move them to a saving knowledge of you, a real, real deal relationship with you, God. It's setting aside how you're feeling. It's setting aside the bitterness and the hurt and the pain. And just say, God, move in that person's life, Lord, They need you so bad, Lord. They need you desperately. God, move in their life. And Lord, you know I've been hurt. Lord, you know I'm struggling, and and I'm having a hard time articulating this prayer, but God, move move in their heart. Here's what I found. It's hard to hate somebody when you're praying for them. I mean, you can't say, God... Move in their heart, Lord. Bring them to salvation. And then the next minute, and I can't stand that sucker. I hate him. It just it doesn't, it's not a good combo. It, just, it doesn't work. It's easier to love them when you start praying for them. And it, it, how can you love someone who's been so dastardly evil to you? Manipulating. You look beyond the now, and you understand that God's desire, God's desire. Somebody said, well, how do you know God's will? You know what? There's a book I'd like to introduce you to. It's called the Bible. It discloses, it reveals God's will, and God's will is that none should perish. Even the most despicable. It's His will that they don't perish. John 3.16. You memorized it, most of you did, when you were a kid. For God so loved the world. That's everybody, right? Whoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have everlasting life, eternal life. So it's God's will that none should perish. And so that's where your prayer starts. God, I pray for this person. I pray for this situation that you bring them to a place of salvation and so you start praying beyond the offense you're above the offense you're you've just hurtled over the hurt at that point see how that works not only is it difficult to hate someone that you're praying for it's difficult to hate people that you know that you talk to. It's, it's easy to put people in groups, it's like I can't stand them. You don't even know them personally. But I've found when you start talking to people that are different than you, that, that you have put in groups, possibly, once you start talking to human beings, it's, they're fascinating. And it's amazing how many connections, even with somebody that speaks a different language, there's always some kind of connector. Isn't that fascinating? And God brings about those relationships. So this is admonition from the Lord, from Jesus. To love your enemies. To, to go the extra mile. Not just, hey, it's good enough for government attitude. But it's going the extra mile. And so he gives several reasons for this admonition. And, and, and one of them is this. This kind of love, living out and demonstrating what Jesus is telling us in Matthew 5, it's a mark of maturity. I love love what Warren Worsby, he's a great commentator, I love his commentaries on Scripture. He says, it proves that we are sons of the Father and not just little children. When When we behave in a way that models Christ, it's godlike that's number 2 listen god shares his goodness to those who oppose him and so what happens when you love and you pray for your enemies those who have hurt you 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 there's a climate at that point of blessing that begins to take place it's really a supernatural thing Again, Matthew 5.45 says this, In that way you will be acting as true children of the Father in heaven. For He gives His sunlight to both the evil and the good. Have you ever said, Man, why do bad things happen to good people? We have the answer. For He gives His sunlight to both the evil and the good, and He sends rain on the just and the unjust alike. And see, this kind of living for Christ and loving the way Christ is calling us to love people and just to lift people up, it's, it's taking us out of the immediate and being mindful and soulful and prayerful to eternity, praying for them. What's that old saying, hurting people hurt people? That's revolutionary. If you know someone who's constantly hurting people, and they're, maybe they're constantly hurting you, they're probably most likely hurting. There's something going on that's triggering that kind of behavior. They're hurting. And, and they won't let you in. They won't let you get close. They've got this heart demeanor. But they're hurting. They're struggling. And, and don't give up on them. I said this time and time again. Those who seem the hardest and furthest from Christ, boy, they're, they're, they're right there. Really, they're right there. The Holy Spirit is... Beating on them in a good way. Drawing them to salvation. So this kind of love is a mark of maturity. It's God-like. It really is. And it's a testimony. That's number three. It's a testimony to others. It's a testimony. You see, God's expectation for us is to live higher. At a higher plane. Higher level than the world. We shouldn't be behaving like the world. God's called us to a higher degree. And here's the cool thing. We don't have to figure all this out. The Holy Spirit has available empowerment for us to live that way. It's supernatural. It's like we have these X powers that we couldn't conjure up or fabricate on our own, but filled with the unction of the Holy Spirit and the power of the Holy Spirit We can have victory in the things that I'm talking about this morning and the things that Jesus communicated 2,000 years ago. The Holy Spirit empowers us to do amazing, amazing deeds to demonstrate amazing love to people that you would say they don't deserve that. God blesses us with that, that anointing that blessing. I, I love the way the message, the message is a paraphrase. So you have literal, um, what we would call translations of the Bible. Okay. And, and different translations communicate, they all communicate the same thing in some or varying degrees. For instance, the ESV or the New American Standard is more of a word-by-word translation of the original languages, Hebrew, Greek, Aramaic. And then you have what they call paraphrases. Paraphrase, they're not translations, but they're easy reads. It gives you sometimes a grasp of what's really being said. And there's a paraphrase called the message. I know some people like it and some don't. But I love the way it's captured here in verse 46 through 48 of Matthew 5. It says, if all you do is love the lovable, do you expect a bonus? (laughs) Anybody can do that. If you simply say hello to those who greet you, do you expect a medal? I'm reading the same passage we started with. Sounds a little different. Any run-of-the-mill sinner does that. In a word, what I'm saying is, grow up. You're kingdom subjects. You are kingdom subjects. I use the terminology, the phrase, the king's kids. We're the king's kids. Hey, don't mess with me. I'm one of the king's kids. I'll start praying for you. God's, I, I'll pray for you. I'll, I'll pray, God, send your... Warrior angels to bless that person. Send your ministering angels. That's a subject for a whole other message. Your kingdom subjects. You are the king's kids. Now live like it, Jesus says. Live out your God-created identity. You're an ambassador. You are a representative of Jesus. I heard one preacher, and it got a lot of controversy. Say, "You're little Jesuses. and that, that was years ago. And it was a group of certain group of individuals who were saying that. And a lot of people got upset with that. It's like, how dare you? little Jesuses? But I understood what they were saying. We're ambassadors of Christ. We represent Jesus to people. Jesus said, "Greater things will you do than even I did." And you, how could you do greater things? Jesus is God. How can you do greater things than Jesus did? Well, I I really believe it's because there's so many of us now. When He released His Spirit, the Holy Spirit on Pentecost, the Bible says we can do the same things He did, but because there's more of us, it's going to be even greater impact. Somebody might declare themselves as an atheist or an agnostic. I don't believe in God my answer to that is wow you have great faith you have more faith than i do i mean i look around and to have faith that all of this just happened with nothing it just from nothing came all of a sudden a mass of oo and then it turned into goo and then it eventually became you I mean, that takes a lot of faith. <laughs> faith. Live generously and graciously towards other, others, the way God lives towards you. So, as believers, as followers of Christ, we must return good for evil. Why? Because it's an investment. It's an investment, returning good for evil. You're investing in kingdom work. You're investing. You're, You're moving beyond the immediate of that particular situation, that hurt, and the ramifications and the hurt of all of that that happened at that moment. You're moving beyond that, and you're investing in a, in a future when God starts ministering to their heart and, and just beating. The Bible talks about tenderizing the heart. That's the Holy Spirit softening. You ever tenderized a steak? And you, you get that mallet, and you just beat on it, and then you flip it over, and you beat on it. And so when you barbecue it or put it on the flat iron, it's tender. That's what the Holy Spirit does to that person that has become so hardened and bitter, and you start praying for them. And they're they're hurting, and so because of their hurt, they hurt others, but you start praying for them. God, move in their life, move in their life. Lord, soften their heart, Lord. Draw them back to you, God, because that person is somebody's son or daughter, and they love them, and they don't want to see them live a life like that, that is hurting and bitter and hurting others, everybody they Come in contact with the Spirit of God. Move in their life. Tenderize their heart. Draw them to you, God. I'm having a hard time forgiving them, but God, you can forgive them. You can move in their life. You can do a miracle. You parted the Red Sea. You created the heavens and the earth. God, you can do this. So it's an exercise of faith. It's, it's moving beyond the immediate. I'm going to pray for their soul. Some of the greatest preachers, greatest ministers, the most passionate, charismatic, powerful representatives of Jesus Christ are individuals who have lived some life, a few bumps. Maybe a lot of bumps. They understand sin. And knowing that God's forgiven you and cleansed you and washed away your sin, impassions you to to tell others hey, that's for you too. You can experience being set free. Not living in doubt, not living in shame, not living in guilt. Being set free. Cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. Wow. The ESV and New Living. And Matthew uses the word, that we're to be perfect like our Father in heaven is perfect. You might think, how can we per- be perfect on this side of heaven? And the answer is you can't. But it's not that kind of perfect. It's imperfect to be perfect in this life here, but there's a day coming. What it's suggesting if you do a word study is it's suggesting a completeness a maturity as a son and daughter of God you are the king's kids quit saying quit saying stop it just, just stop saying well I'm wired that way I, I, that's just the way I'm wired My dad was that way. His dad was that way. Guess what? That's what I am. Stop that. Stop that. I think sometimes counselors just need to say, Hey, 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 wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Just stop it. Just stop it. Here's the dynamic. When you pray and you forgive others... Wow. It sets you free. It does something to that, that ping, that pang, that hurt, that, that twinge in your heart that every time their name's mentioned, every time you see them, or, and, and you, it, it, it does something. It makes that go away. And it doesn't happen overnight, usually, it's a process. But it can happen overnight when you set it at the altar. You see, something about faith, and I'm going to end it right now. Faith requires action. David, can you unhook that chair right there and bring it up on the stage? Do it from the other side there, bro. Just lift up the other chair. There you go. Let's set it right here. I don't know if the folks at home will see this. Thank you, sir. This chair is an amazing chair. You could grab a knife and stick it in that chair. I've done it. <laughs> because the salesman who I bought this chair from, he did it. He stuck a knife right in the middle of the chair and I, whoa, And he pulled it out and you couldn't see anything. It like healed itself. By the way, these are extra wide. Someone say amen. (laughs) And this chair right here, it's rated as a two-hour chair. So our services are an hour. I think I'm going to go another hour. It's a two-hour chair. This is a two-hour chair. It's a two-hour chair. So that means you should be fairly comfortable for two hours. Have you ever been to a function, an event, a church that has what I would call a 10-minute chair? (laughs) When you don't have a lot of padding like me, that's not comfortable. But this is a two-hour chair. This is an amazing chair. What color is this chair? It's gray. Thank you. I have a hard time with colors but I was told it's a two-hour chair you can stick pencils in it you can try it it wouldn't bother me because you won't even it'll just self-heal itself and 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 the fabric comes back together they're easy to clean and and there's a two-hour chair so I only preach about 22 to 30 minutes and and uh, even though we have earplugs out there that's for the music that's not for the message But this is a two-hour chair. It's a good-looking chair. You told me it's gray. It's got uh, rubber cups so it doesn't scuff the carpet and stuff. And and I can sit here. I can go on for 15 minutes talking about that chair. And I have faith that this chair can support my weight. I have faith that when I sit in this chair, it's not going to collapse. And you're looking and listening and you're saying, okay, okay. But do I really have faith in this chair? My faith is not exercised until right now when I sit down in this chair. I have exercised my faith. I I told you a great sales pitch. Everything I said was true about this chair. But I have exercised my faith right now and demonstrated to you that I not only believe that this chair can support my weight, and if I had a knife, I'd stick it in there right now, uh, but I don't currently and but I've exercised my faith and it feels good and I would, I, I would tell you probably the next 15-20 minutes an hour probably up to two hours this chair is pretty comfortable so it's with that that I want to say to you you've been hurt most likely you got to let it go. You've got to let it go. You've got to give it to God. He can handle it. He's got some big shoulders. And I want to give you an opportunity to do that right now. If you're out in the courtyard, you can just walk up towards the flat screen in faith. You're not just saying, okay, I'm going to give it to God. I'm going to give it to God. I am asking you to get up out of your chair And just walk up to that flat screen. And you in here, and you watching online right now, I'm asking you to do the same thing. Get up out of your chair in faith and stand at the altar and say, God, I'm not going to carry this pain anymore. I'm going to give it to you. I'm going to give you the hurt, the offense that I've experienced, the victimization. I'm going to give it to you. I don't want to hang on to it. It's not healthy. It's making me bitter. And it, it hurts. And I want to give it to you. I want you to do that right now. Come on. Get up here. Someone hurt you when you were a kid and that's affected your whole life. Everything you see, everything you do goes through that filter of something that happened to you when you were a child. And today's the day to say, no more. Devil, you're not doing this anymore. I'm done with you. I've got victory. I want you to move in tight, spread out to the side so others can come on up here. You don't want to miss this. God's going to set you free. I believe that with all my heart. The Bible says, where two or more are gathered together in my name, there I am in the midst of them." If you ask anything in the name of Christ, he will do it. So, Lord, we come to you right now. We come to you right now. Hey, it's still, it's still plenty of time to get up here. Run, run, run! There's power when we're united and we pray together. God, we give You the hurts. Lord, we give You the hang-ups. We give You the habits. God, we give You the pain. That situation where we were victimized, hurt, offended... We were innocent. And yet God. It's affected and impacted our life. And we're saying today in Jesus name no more. I want you to pray with me right now. Jesus. I come to you right now. And I plead your shed blood. Over my life. Over my mind. I'm set free in Christ. I'm not a victim. No more pain. I've been set free through Christ. Whom the Son has set free is free indeed. The devil doesn't have a hold. I want you to say this. Devil, your assignment against me is done. In Jesus' name. I pray for those who have hurt They've hurt me, and they hurt you. And Lord God, I pray that you'd set me free from an unforgiving heart, and I give you that unforgiving heart in Jesus' name. And so in, it's in Christ I forgive them. And God, I give you my burden. I'm not going to carry it home today. I've been set free in Christ. In Jesus' name, and everybody said amen let's give the lord a hand praise god amen 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 listen you are free and i I want to tell you right now we live in a time in a day and age where feelings mean everything some of you felt something and that praise god some of you didn't feel anything but the fact is when two or more are gathered together in my name jesus says i'll hear your prayer and i'll answer your prayer And the Bible tells us that whom the Son has set free is free indeed. When you you repent of your sin, He's faithful and just to forgive you your sin and to forgive others as well. You've been set free, free, not from me, but through Christ. Amen? Amen? Amen.